Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning. Good morning. What what what, what defines elderly? You said we got some elder pe- people in our community. I, I got a list that I could submit for some things that I'd like done. We're in week three of our series, Change Your World, where we're looking at the expectation that um, Jesus has for us regarding reaching people who are far from God or maybe some of those prodigals who have wandered from God. And the Bible calls this expectation the Great Commission. Jesus actually referenced this five different times. It's actually a mandate, but Jesus referenced it no less than five times during his three and a half years of public ministry. But probably the most commonly quoted one, the one that you've heard, is found in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And these were Jesus' final instructions before ascending to heaven. He said this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' expectation is that that we would share the hope that we have because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ with with others and how they can have that hope as well. A couple weeks ago, we talked about changing our world from the context of our realm, our sphere of influence, because we all, regardless of what we think, we all have a certain realm or sphere of influence. Then last week, we talked about the command to be salt and light and how those metaphors apply to us in our walk with God and how we impact this earth for the kingdom of God. This morning, we're going to look at at one simple thought, and it's this statement here. We cannot reach what we do not see. We cannot reach what we do not see. Another way to say this would be to say, if we don't see it, then we're not responsible for it. And when it comes to changing your world, frankly, a lot of us would just rather not see certain things. Many years ago, uh, we took our youth group down to uh, Mission, Texas, there was a church uh, on, the, on the state side, right on the Rio Grande River, uh, that had planted some churches in Reynosa, right across uh, the border. And, and so uh, what they did is they brought in a lot of these young people from around the country, uh, and they would, we would do a day of training, and then uh, they would divide these uh, young people up into groups of you know 20 or 30, and, and uh, uh, we would drive over to Reynosa each day and with prearranged dates at these certain strategic locations where this church had planted churches, we would drive up and then these kids would get out and, and we would just start ministering. You know, for example, they, girls would jump out with a jump rope. They start jumping rope and guys would get out with a football or soccer ball. And, and you know, immediately that was like a kid magnet. So kids from the neighborhood would just come flocking because seeing what's going on there. Of course, they had a boom box, but y'all know what a boom box is. Anyway, this is you know, back then. But anyway, and, and when they found out that I had a CDL and drove a school bus, they asked if I could be, you know, one of the bus drivers to drive a group over each day. And I'm telling you right now, down in Mexico, they don't do no beep, beep. I mean, they, I mean, they just, just, just saying. But anyway, so I drove one of the buses over each day. And, and one day we were driving into this uh, neighborhood, this, this barrio. Is that how you pronounce that? And, uh, I actually thought it was a junkyard when we first started because it just, just all these like, you know, just like cardboard boxes and plywood. And it just, it just honestly, I, I, I thought it was a junkyard. But as we drove further into this area, I began to see children playing in and around some of these cardboard and plywood boxes that I, that I thought was trash. But 
uh, found out that no, some people are living in these. And, and some of them got kind of creative, like this one cardboard hut had a, uh, a, a car hood, the hood of a car for its roof. And I knew that because it still had the hood ornament on it. But as we're driving through there, um, just kind of, you know, looking around and, and outside of one of these little huts, little cardboard plywood huts, there was a mom standing holding a child and some other kids playing around her. And, uh, and she looked right at me. No smile, no, no frown. The best way to describe it is it was just kind of a, a numb, I would call it kind of a desperate look. Later that night, I couldn't get that mom's face out of my mind. It's like we got back to the church. We had dinner. You know, we, they had a youth, they had a rally each night, worship, you know, and then uh, a download time, talk about, you know, what happened during the day. But, you know, when I put my head on the pillow, man, I could not go to sleep. I kept seeing that mom's eyes looking at me. And obviously, it, it still at times kind of pops into my head even today. Otherwise, I wouldn't have mentioned it. I think probably all of us have, on a much smaller, uh, less dramatic scale, have probably experienced something similar. If you've ever been in a traffic situation after a, a Chiefs or a Royals game, or maybe even just shopping at Sam's or Costco on a Saturday, you know, you're just trying to get out of the parking lot. But see, here's the thing. So is everyone else. And see, if, if no one looks at you, then they don't have to let you in. Right? Isn't that the unspoken rules of driving? If I don't look at them, I don't have to, I don't have to let them in. You ever notice that? Right. Yesterday, Sue and I went over to Lawrence, went to Target. And, and see, you guys have all experienced this as well. Either you're in a left turn lane and the median, there's someone standing there with a sign, maybe has a kid or two with them. Right? How, many of you, how many of you have experienced that, you know? Yesterday, we pulled into the north entrance to Target, and there was someone standing there with a sign. And so as we pulled in and started turning around, Sue, Sue was kind of turned. And, and I said, what did what, what the sign say? And she said, I don't know. She said, I quit reading because he looked at me. <laughs> right? And that's what she tells me. Anytime we come, she said, don't look at him. Don't look at him. Right? Because if you don't see him, you don't have to do anything. A couple months ago, I took my dad to a, sprint car race at Lakeside Speedway, watched some, some races, and then afterwards, was trying to get out of the parking lot. If you've ever been to Lakeside, it, parking was an afterthought at that track. I'm just saying, it was just horrible, horrible parking. But anyway, so uh, race is over, and uh, there's only one way in and out of that track, and um, trying to get out, you know, waiting in line, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, nudge my way out. But you got to understand, this, this wasn't your garden variety, Johnson County soccer moms and suburban dads. These are race fans. And they're a different breed. I know, I grew up in a race. So, so you know, it, it, it's kind of like they just got done watching a 50-lap sprint car race. So when they get back, they think they're in the race. So engines are revving. People are just trying to get out of it, but no one's budging. No one's budging. So finally... I'm little by little trying to inch my way out, and there's see this you know pickup, and there was a couple in there, and and uh, so <laughs> I uh, you know I'm looking at, and 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 the gal looks at me, and I kind of did one of these, you know, will you let me in, you know, you know, and so you know she just kind of smiled and she said something to her boyfriend or husband, you know, said something to him, and he kind of <sighs> you know kind of put out, all right, you know, so so he lets me in, right? The point being, before he looked at me. I was just another car, right? Once we made eye contact, then I was a person. 
So I want us to look at a story in the Bible where Jesus kind of models this mandate to uh, make ourselves aware of what's going on around us, to make ourselves aware of, of like opening our eyes to see what exactly is going on around us. I'm going to give you a little backstory, and then we'll read some of the story. Uh, one day, Jesus and his guys, his disciples, they're walking along the road. They're getting close to a town, and uh, Jesus was thirsty, so they stop at a well right outside the town. The disciples were hungry, so they decide to go on into town to get something to eat. And Jesus stays there at the well. And while he's there, a woman comes up to the well with carrying a, a, a jar, a water pot to get some water. And Jesus engages this woman in, in a conversation. And this shocks the woman for a couple of different reasons. Uh, time won't allow a full explanation for this, but there, there was a lot of racial tension between Jews and Samaritans. Uh, I mean, again, it, it, just, it's just, it was a very deep-rooted thing. This was a Samaritan woman. Obviously, Jesus was a Jew. Uh, in fact, by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, uh, Jews would actually cross the Jordan River rather than pass through Samaria. That's how deep-rooted the hatred and racial tension, not to mention just the, the cultural gender uh, barrier, because honestly, guys thought they were better than women back then. In fact, women, wives walked behind their husbands with the kids. So, so Jesus just smashes through the racial barrier, the, the social barrier, the gender barrier, and engages this woman in a conversation, which kind of surprises her, right? So he engages her in, in, in conversation, and at one point he asks this woman where her husband is. And uh, she tells Jesus that she doesn't have a husband, to which Jesus replies, you know, you got that right. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the guy you're shacking up with now ain't your husband, that's what, it's, that's what it means in the Greek, that word. is. <laughs> Jesus said, no, you're right. You know, you've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now, he ain't even your husband. Now, this really gets the woman's attention. She had never seen this guy before, and he just read her mail. So this gets her attention, right? Uh, so at that point, she realizes that she's in the presence of something or someone special. About that time, the disciples get back from town with, with food. This is the same town that the woman had come from. So let's pick up the story there in John chapter 4, verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him, Jesus, talking with a woman. Again, he, they were surprised for a couple, you know, for those reasons I just mentioned. She was a Samaritan. It was a woman, right? You just didn't do that. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? So the disciples arrive back from town with some food. They see Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman, but not only, not only did they not ask Jesus if he wanted something to eat, more importantly, they didn't ask him why he was talking to this woman. Remember, they're students. Jesus is the rabbi. Students are supposed to ask the rabbi questions. And in this situation, it's almost begging them to ask, and yet none of them do. They didn't see this every day, right? I mean, the first thing they should have done was they should have said, hey, Jesus, are you hungry? Or Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? But they didn't ask that, which makes me wonder, why did John put that in the narrative to begin with? I mean, look, when you're telling a story, you don't typically add things that didn't happen, right? But John did that here. That's exactly what he did. He mentions two things that didn't happen. The disciples didn't ask Jesus if he wanted something to eat, nor did he ask nor, nor did they ask him if he, why he was talking to the Samaritan woman. So question, why did John include those two things that didn't happen? The only logical answer is afterwards, they wish they would have. 
asked him. Which begs the question, well, why didn't they? Why didn't they ask Jesus either of those two things? Well, either they couldn't see the significance of the moment, or they just didn't care. They just didn't care. Let's continue on. Verses 28 and 29, John 4. Then leaving her water jar, she came out to get water. She is so taken back by what's this encounter with Jesus. She leaves the jar there and goes back to town. And this again, this is the same town the disciples had just been to, so it wasn't very far away. And she tells everyone in town, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She runs back and says, hey, you know what? I think I just met God right outside of town. I think I just met the Messiah. And she apparently was convincing enough that the Bible says that most of the town came streaming out. Apparently, yeah, she said, well, well, we got to go see who this woman's talking about here, right? Uh, Verse 30, John 4, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. The NIV says the people came streaming from town out to see Jesus. So picture this, picture this. Pretty much the whole town is coming out to see if this woman was telling the truth. Again, you know, you'd be thinking, the disciples would be thinking, wow, what's this big crowd doing here, right? Well, all of a sudden, there's this big crowd. What, what, what's going on here? But they, it's, they, just, they just didn't get it. Let's read on, verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, let's go to Chipotle. <laughs> Basically, they said, let's go, Rabbi, let's go get something to eat. And look at Jesus' response, verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat, and he's talking about these, all these people that are coming from town. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So again, picture this. Large crowd coming out from the town to the well. The disciples, still clueless as to what's going on around them, tell Jesus, hey, it's lunchtime. Let's go get something to eat. Or Here, here's some food. Let's get something to eat. Jesus' response was, are you kidding me? Do you see what, what's going on right now? Don't you see? He said, hey, we, we, we've got a need here. These people are the, ministering to these people. That's what feeds me. That's what energizes me. Reaching out to the hurting and the lost and the helpless and helping them. But they still didn't get the metaphor. So let's look at their response in John 4, 33. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Because he just got things. I have food to eat that you know. They're thinking he's, they're, he's talking about literal food. He was talking about the people, but they still don't get it. So they ask each other, I wonder if someone had brought him some food. They, they didn't get it. Here's my point. If the disciples who were there in the moment, if they could miss it, could it be possible that we could miss it when we're in those significant moments? How easy would it be for us to miss it as well? So Jesus circles back around, and he tries again to explain to his disciples what's going on. Verse 34, John 4. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus, basically Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm hungry too, but I've got, I've got work to do. I've got work to do. And then look at verse 35. Don't you... <clears throat> Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? That was a Jewish colloquialism that was used to procrastinate. Basically, that was a Jewish way of saying, oh, we got plenty of time. Don't worry about it. We, 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 got, we got plenty of time. Now, we, we can do it later. So Jesus is like, oh, I, I get it. You're not, you're not seeing this like I'm seeing it. See, see you're, you're thinking about those hot rolls and honey butter at Texas Roadhouse. 
Don't you love the food illustrations I'm giving you here? Are you getting hungry yet? Then, as only Jesus can do, he both diagnoses the problem and gives the solution in one statement. Let's read it. I tell you, and I want us to say these next three words together. I tell you, open your eyes. One more time, together. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to help you open your eyes and see the opportunity that God has given us. Because, and here's our big idea. Here's the big idea for this morning's message. You cannot reach what you do not see. You can't reach what you don't see. If I'm driving down the interstate, someone's wanting to merge into the lane of traffic, and I'm trying to make my way up. If I don't look at them, I don't have to let them in, right? If I don't look at them, I don't have to let them in, right? If I didn't know people lived in cardboard plywood huts with a car hood for a roof, then I don't have, that's not my problem. I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to worry about it. But if we see it, if we see it, then in some kind of divine, inexplicable, WWJD, what would Jesus do way, we're kind of compelled to do something about it. Jesus' instructions here are, are for us to open our eyes. In other words, start being more aware of the needs around you. And one way to tell if you're spiritually attuned to your world, one way to tell if you're, if you're really seeing things from God's perspective is to answer this question. If God answered all my prayers... Would it change the world or just change me? Think about this. There are approximately 7.6 billion people living on this planet. 7.6 billion. 2.4 of that 7.6, 2.4 billion claim to be Christians, which means, best case scenario, if Jesus came back today, 5.2 billion people would be lost and not go to heaven. Now, how do you even wrap your mind around a number that large? You know, because it's easy to be spiritually nearsighted when you're talking about 5.2 billion people. So let me help bring some perspective here. Uh, Boston, would you come up? And I'm going to ask Gage, would you come up? I'm going to ask Gage to, to help. So Boston and Gage, would you guys come up here? Boston, I want you to stand right here, and I want you to face that wall. Over a little bit more, right there, right there. No, that's good. Gage, I want you to stand in front of him facing that wall. Come back a little bit more. Closer, closer. A little bit closer. Okay. A little bit closer. Okay. All right, right there. All right. Back on September 30th, Hurricane Ian swept through the Gulf side of the Florida coast at last count because they've still got search and rescue teams out. But at last count, I heard 102 people had lost their lives because of Hurricane Ian. For perspective, 120 people standing heel to toe like Boston and Gage are right here, chest to back, heel to toe. That's about 40 yards. Not quite half of a football field, okay? That's how many people perished in Hurricane Ian. On 9-11, when the terrorists attacked the Twin Towers, 2,996 people died. That line of people, if they were lined up like this, would be about six-tenths of a mile. So think driving from the nursing home to the cemetery, okay? And along the side of the road, you see faces like Gage and Boston all along the side of the road. Nursing home to cemetery, all along the side of the road. 
How about this date, December 26, 2004? That's when the tsunami in the Indian Ocean struck Indonesia. 250,000 people lost their lives. Now, that line of people would be 47 miles. Anyone ever driven to Truman Sports Complex? Royals game? Chiefs game? That's how long that line would be. So think about that. Getting on the interstate out here, from here to Truman Sports Complex, lined alongside the road, face after face after face after face. Thank you, guys. You can sit down. Give them a hand. Good job, guys. So how long would a line of people like that of 5.4 billion people lined up heel to toe, chest to back be? What do you think? You think it would go across I-70 out to western Kansas? Yeah. You'd have to keep going. And when you got to California, you'd have to build a bridge because you would have to put a line of people across the Pacific, all the way over to Japan, then on through the Middle East, still further till it reached the Atlantic Ocean, where you'd have to build another bridge for people to line up until it connected with the U.S. again. And eventually the line would come back around to where it met right here, where Boston and Gage were standing. But that wouldn't happen just once. It wouldn't happen just twice. That would happen 124 times. Think about that. 124 lines of people. I'm just trying to help us see it because if we don't see it, we won't do anything about it. If we see it, it changes everything. If we can see it, it makes something like a serve day make sense, doesn't it? If we can see it, it makes, it makes something like possibly launching another campus church, it makes that make sense. So this morning, I want us to look at three ways that we can open our eyes and begin to see around us. First, first way is open your eyes to where they are. Open your eyes to where they are. We have to be able to see the wares. Yes, yes, there are huge needs around the world and especially in third world countries, but there's also needs close to you in your neighborhood, on your cul-de-sac, on your volleyball team, on your football team, at your, in your cubicle. Do they even have cubicles anymore? At work. There are needs all around you in the line at Walmart or Target or Price Chopper. There are needs all around you. And if you're not asking yourself each day, Lord, is this someone in my realm, my sphere of influence that you want me to reach out to? If you're not asking that question, you'll never see them. To change our world, we need to connect before we correct. So open your eyes to where they are. Second, open your eyes to who they are. Open your eyes to who they are. The biggest challenge here is the social climate that we're living in right now. I mean, everyone, everyone is, is uptight. Everyone's looking for someone to hate, right? You got the, and, and social media just feeds this, as, as you guys well know, right? You got the liberals that hate conservatives. You've got the, the conservatives that hate the liberals. You've got the left that, that hates the right. You know, you've got uh, Republican versus Democrat. Sometimes you just hate your neighbor because their kid, uh, their, their child made the dance team and yours didn't. I, I hate you because your, your child made the your, your Your boy made varsity, mine didn't. You know, I don't think I like you, right? Everyone's just looking for someone to hate. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't fall into that trap because people aren't your enemy. People aren't your enemy. You need to understand that. Dr. Paul Young He Cho, who pastors the largest church in the world in South Seoul, South Korea. 
And this church has over a million, a million that attend. Not, not on the membership roll who show up twice a year. No, a million people adherents who attend every week, okay? But he talked one time about when he prays over the church and he goes through the Lord's Prayer. And, and he, he said, and he's got that small, that he's got that soft, uh, you know, unassuming, you know, Korean accent voice. And he says, when he gets to that part where he says, he says, every day, every day, I forgive people, so many people, because every day I hate so many people. <laughs> you ever had one of those days where you wanted to pray that? Matthew 9, verse 36. But when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because, now watch this next statement, because this shows us why people are so mean sometimes. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Notice, Jesus chose to see people from a different perspective. Because we don't... Look, if, if, you, if you know a mean person, they're mean for a reason. They weren't always like that. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Three different people passed by and saw the man who'd been robbed, beaten, and left for dead. But they all saw him from a different perspective. The thief saw him as a victim that they could take advantage of and exploit. The priest saw him as a problem that they needed to avoid, so he goes over to the other side of the road. The Samaritan saw him as a person that needed to be loved. Jesus asked us to begin viewing people, even the mean, hateful people, through the lens of his eyes. Because everyone's the way they are for a reason. We're all products of our environment. To change your world, you don't have to be like them, but you do have to like them. Because you'll never reach someone you don't like. Everyone doing okay? Okay. Everyone doing okay? You're never going to reach someone you don't like. To reach people and change your world, you need to open your eyes to where they are. You need to open your eyes to who they are. And then thirdly, you need to open your eyes to what they need. Open your eyes to what they need. There seems to be some confusion in the church today as to the correct answer to this question about what, is, what, what do people really need? Because you have some people, some church people who believe that what people need is truth. They need truth. And some who believe that what people need is grace. And, and you can tell pretty quick where a church stands on this by the sermons that the pastor preaches. Because the truth people approach ministry from the perspective of making sure that people know they're a sinner and they're going to burn in hell if they don't repent. And you know what? That's true. No argument. We are sinners, and we all need to repent, or we're going to go to hell. That, that is true. And so, so technically, they're right. Technically, the truth people are right. They're just not reaching anyone, or at least not very many people, not as many people as they could be reaching. Then you have the grace side. You have those churches who are heavy on promoting God's grace and speak little or no truth. Oh, you can go ahead and live like you're living. Doesn't matter. Jesus paid it all. So, you know, you don't, you don't need to do anything. You can continue living like you're living. God forgives. And you know what? That's true as well. No argument. That's just as true. 
Salvation is a free gift. Jesus did pay for our sins. The problem is, the problem is, if we live in either one of those two extremes, we'll live a spiritually unbalanced life and we're going to miss the right way to treat people, the right right way to to reach people. Truth without grace is mean, but grace without truth is meaningless. Put them together. Put them together and you have an environment that will not just draw people closer to God, but give them a desire to change their lifestyle once they come to know God. That's what we seek to do here at Family Church. Try to merge the grace and truth. But you need to understand, grace always comes first. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of, say it with me, grace and truth. What came first? Grace. One time, some religious leaders brought a woman to Jesus who was caught in the very act of adultery. Many scholars think that this was, this was a setup, that they, that they had kind of set this up in advance to catch her and then bring her before Jesus to, to trapping. Sure enough, when the woman was brought before Jesus, they asked Jesus what what should be done because, you know, the truth was she was guilty. She couldn't deny it. And the truth is the law said that adult, that that death, if you you commit adultery, you die. So standing there with smug smirks on their faces, the religious leaders, they asked Jesus, so Jesus, what do you say? The law says that she should be stoned to death. What do you say, Jesus? And this is what Jesus said. He said, let he who has no sin cast the first stone, which immediately thinned out the crowd, including all the religious leaders. In fact, at one point, it was just the woman who had been caught in adultery and Jesus, just those two standing there. And when it was just her and him, Jesus' first words to this woman was, where are your accusers? She looks around and she says, they're not here anymore. And then watch Jesus' next statement, because this is grace. Neither do I accuse you. There's grace. There's grace. But watch this, because he didn't leave her there. She needed grace first, but she also needed truth. And his very next statement was truth. Go and sin no more. We need both. Dear ones, we need grace and we need truth. To change our world, we need to show people the same kind of love that God showed us, unconditional love. We'll never reach what we cannot see. That's why we're a church on mission. And part of my job as your pastor is to make sure that we're seeing the right things so that we can reach the people that God's called us to reach. Because here's the deal. If you saw God the right way, seriously, if anyone, if anyone saw God the right way, they'd, they'd want to serve him. The problem is most people don't see God the right way. Most people see God one of four ways. And I got this from John Maxwell from that book I'm reading, Change Your World. But he says most people see God one of four ways. One, the first one, the locked gate view. The locked gate where, where God just, he can't be reached. He's on one side, you're on the other. And you don't know the password. You don't know the, the keypad number. You don't, you, you, don't, you don't have the key. You don't know how to get to him. Some people see God 
through the lens of the locked gate. Then some people see God through the lens of a garbage can. And this is the view of that God doesn't want me. God could, I could never go to God because of what the things I've done. There's no way God would accept me because of what I've done. I've done too many bad things. No, the apostle Paul says that, think about this, that God loves us so much that, that while we were still sinning, I mean, on our worst day, God saw that and still chose to die for us. God saw us on our worst day and still let his hands be nailed to that cross. Some people see God as a locked gate they can't get to. Some see him as a garbage can that God doesn't want me. I've done too many bad things. Third thing, some, some people see God as an endless ladder. Like, you know, yeah, you can get to him, but man, it takes a lot of work because you've got to climb and climb and climb and climb and climb. And who knows? And it seems like the, the closer you get, you realize how much further it is. But the true picture of God is this, and this is the right view. He's a free gift. He's a free gift. Salvation, access to God is, is a free gift. And, and sadly, sadly, a free gift that many people have left unopened. You know how this works. Someone gives you a gift, what do you do? You're going to open it, right? I thank them, but how many times are you given a gift that you don't open it? I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Ten weeks from this morning, y'all are going to be sitting around your living room opening Christmas presents. Ten weeks from this morning. How many times have you left a Christmas present unopened? No, you open a gift. This morning, right now, Jesus is wanting to hand you a gift. All you have to do is receive it. Just receive it. But he can't open it for you. That's something you're going to have to do. Bow your heads, let me. I want to first pray for those of you who, who, you know Jesus, you're serving him, but you know, maybe without realizing it, you've become spiritually nearsighted and you're really not seeing the world the way that Jesus wants you to see it. So for those, Lord, I'm just praying, help us begin seeing where the people are that you want us to reach out to and then help us see who they are and then finally help us see what they need and do whatever we can to help them. And if you're here this morning or maybe part of our EFAM watching our live stream, and maybe you're not seeing God. Forget about seeing people. You're not even seeing God the right way. But you would like to begin to start seeing Him the right way this morning. You're ready to receive that free gift of eternal life that God's offering you. Here's what you need to know. Jesus paid for the gift, but He's not going to open it for you. If that's you, it would be my honor to pray with you right now. Just repeat this prayer after me. You don't you can say it out loud. You can whisper it, whatever. But the important thing is that you, you believe it in your heart. Believe it. And the Bible says that you'll be saved. So just pray. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and paying for my sins. And right now, today, right now, I receive the forgiveness and the healing that you offer me through Jesus Christ. I give you my life, Lord, and I receive your life in return. So come live inside of me by your Holy Spirit. Be my Lord and Savior. Change me. Give me a fresh start. 
And as you change my life, help me to start changing my world for you. In Jesus' name.